Hello, I'm Regina Botras and welcome backstage where we talk with theatre makers from actors, directors, writers, theatre heads and beyond about their life in the theatre and how they got to be where they are now. And my guest backstage is Richard Piper. He was in Come From Away as well as Pirates of the Caribbean. Yes, the film version. He's been across the stages for almost 43 years. He trained in London and he's been in the works of Belle Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream, The War of the Roses, Henry V, Henry IV, and here in Sydney, The Secret River, Gross and Klein, Greatest Expectations, A Moby Dick. Uh, look, he's got a huge long list of works under his belt. He's been performing for a long time and he's here to talk with me not only about his life in the theatre, which sounds like it could take up the whole interview, but also about a work that he has been involved with, which is Bartok, My Father. It's inspired by Peter Bartok, Bella Bartok's son, a, a memoir of his Hungarian composer uh, and considered one of the most important composers of the 20th century in fact and it's being performed in Melbourne from the 10th of July and streaming nationally thankfully to us online via Melbourne Digital Concert Hall on the 15th of July it looks like a very exciting work please welcome Richard Piper. Thank you very much, Regina. Lovely, Thanks. lovely to be with you. Thanks for coming on. So before we get into Bartok, my father, and I know you spoke with Peter Bartok last year before he passed away. What? Well, I know you're from London. I know. I know you're from the UK, at least. <laughs> How did you come to be on the stage in the first place? Did you grow up in a, a kind of creative family? Uh, absolutely not. Well, that was the, well, the amazing thing. I mean, I grew up in an, in an industrialist Yorkshire family, <laughs> but as my father quickly realised, I wasn't fitted out for life in a leather tannery in Leeds in Yorkshire. And theatre kind of opened up to me, but it was only when I went to drama school at the age of 18 in London that I knew that this was the path I was going to be on. Whether I liked it or not, it was decided <laughs> by my family and by my uh, school in the school, the British boarding school I was at, that, that this was probably a good idea, uh, as it was what I seemed to be quite good at. So that was the beginning of that journey into theatre. Prior to that, it was considered absolutely not what you do as a, York, a Yorkshire industrialist's son, so I was the rogue, the black sheep of the family and went off to become become an actor. Did, you, did he see something in you then? Yeah, I, I was very fortunate that my father w was a great lover of theatre. So he took mm. me to see shows in Leeds in Yorkshire and he he loved it. And that was a way he could see me becoming something resembling what he would like me to become if I wasn't going to inherit or, or go into the family business, which would have been a whole different, different life for me. But I, my mind was not set into the business paradigm. So I, the theatre, he, he, yeah, I'd done a couple of performances at school and dad was sort of, oh, well, that's lovely. He's very good at that. <laughs> Even though the first thing he saw me in, I was playing a woman because I was a boy. <laughs> <laughs> I was playing a little old Yorkshire lady, but nonetheless, obviously there was something going on, and um, that's how that's how that that journey began. So I was actually backed very firmly by my 
by my mother and father on that. Well, that's wonderful, yeah, considering the the times, like you say. What was the first thing you saw, do you remember? Ah, well, now, look, the thing that the major influence on me was I saw a very young Ian McKellen <gasps> in really? a double bill of Richard II and Edward II at the Leeds Grand Theatre. So this was... I was absolutely gobsmacked by by this and by Sirian McKellen. I mean, this was a last was that so that was a, a very formative um, a formative uh, performance for me. So I, I guess in a way, <laughs> um, Ian McKellen was the beginning of that journey, where I just went, "Wow, I could really, I would like to have a piece of this, or at least attempt to become part of this world." So that was one of the first things. Also, Peter Brook's Midsummer Night's Dream, which I saw mm. at the Royal Shakespeare Company. Both productions I was taken to at school. Shakespeare. Yeah, that was yeah. That a lot of my work has been in in Shakespeare's uh, productions, and that's been yeah. very exciting. It's obviously branched out into all sorts of other areas. This is will soon be my fortieth production for the Melbourne Theatre Company, and you know, goodness knows how many in Sydney and other cities in Australia. So it's been a life on stage. Yeah. So is it, um, you You have worked a lot with regular people like Simon Phillips and, and also on shows that are kind of long lasting. Is there something about the relationships that you form that help the work? I don't know, but like, I guess they're different, like working, coming back and working again with Simon Phillips, there's maybe a, you know, communication and then working on something like Billy Elliot with the same cast for two years. I know they're two different questions. <laughs> you- oh, no, no, I, you're, it's absolutely right. It's a, it's a good question because those two things are very different. On one level, the work I've done with Simon Phillips, they've always been for a short season, roughly, you know, five weeks. Simon and I, we've done together over over 30 productions, and we'll do another one at Christmas this year in Melbourne. The thing with Simon, we clicked immediately. This was back in 1987, and a lot of it is that Simon's theatre is to do with joy, and I suddenly realised, well, I can bring something to this i'd actually in england been predominantly a rock musician oh. was trained as an actor and then went into big west end musicals so when i first came to australia in 87 i came with a different energy which was a sort of rock and roll energy which simon phillips latched onto but when we're talking about the other thing about the longer productions like uh, billy elliot or come from away that's a whole different ball game but what happened with Billy Elliot, which was very close to my heart. It was a British show directed by Stephen Daldry, who went on to direct and produce The Crown on television, and he directed the movie of Billy Elliot. He and Julian Webber directed the Australian production, and that was that was an incredible experience because, obviously, Stephen Daldry is a, a very special and important director globally now, and we had the most... That was a fantastic relationship to to have with somebody who just nurtures you to such an extent. So that was that was special. Doing a show for two years has its demands. And that was that was an extraordinary, extraordinary journey to go on. So that's and I haven't done many of those, but certainly come from away. King Kong the musical, goodness me. Fantastic. I forgot about that. Sometimes I do forget about <laughs> King Kong the musical for reasons that I'll possibly discuss. And and Billy Elliot, yeah, come from where um Billy Elliot are the two major big ones that I've done. How do you keep that joy then? 
if you if you're with it for so long i think what happens is that you never get it exactly right mm. i'm really finicky for that and you have to get yourself right before you go on stage and remember that the audience all that audience is seeing it for the first time and you've got to bring that freshness into it when i say the audience is for the first time of course in things like Billy Elliot we had people who saw that production a uh, hundred or two hundred times oh. so for them it's not the first time but you have to play as if it's, it's the first time you've ever done wow it. and there's something about performing I know that is you know you basically you've got to be so present and you've got to base, basically let go of all your memory and live as if it's the first time and you're that's the biggest challenge I suppose with the, I don't know is that right uh, yeah absolutely and yeah. and the other thing that keeps you going is the enormous companionship mm. you 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 get to with the people you're on stage with I mean that is what sustains you you become such an intimate family and if that works well you you'll have lifelong friends and it's an it's such a memorable experience it's just something very special about that is that is that intimacy yeah so i have to ask you about king kong then since you brought it up what is it i mean because i didn't see it so i know that there was the massive king kong on stage so there (laughs) there was an enormous gorilla and the gorilla was absolutely fantastic but there were some other things that I thought, well, I don't know. I, for instance, my role as Captain Engelhorn, I think he was called, <laughs> I arrived to, to see the costume design in which I was in a fat suit, I had a oh. kilt, I had a Glasgow Rangers shirt. I had no idea why this was happening to me. I had dreadlocks and a tam on my head. So I was in a bizarre <laughs> world anyway. And um, the whole production for me was pretty confusing, Regina, really. I mean, <laughs> looking like that in a fat suit. And I think pretty quickly they realised they're going to have to get rid of this character because there's nothing for him to do for three quarters of the show. So they decided to, for the gorilla would just hit me with his hand. <laughs> and I did this extraordinary stunt, which for a man who at that stage would have been in his mid-50s, the gorilla hit me. And I flew on a string off into the wings and hit a huge mattress. And that was the end of Captain Englehorn. Fantastic. After about 10 minutes. So, you know, I was, I read a lot of books in the dressing room. (laughs) Upstaged by. (laughs) I mean, thank goodness for the wonderful gorilla. But uh, then recently went to Broadway and was on there until lockdown put an end to so many things Mm. for all of us. Indeed. So you went away from the stage to music? Is that what you mentioned? Yeah, so I worked as an actor and then after drama school, which was in 1975, I kind of went, wow, these auditions are hard. And Regina, I'm I'm sure everybody listening will go, God, auditions, who would ever do it to themselves? I felt a bit like that and then auditioned as a gospel preacher in a musical called Elvis that was on in the West End. And then I got a taste for the music side of things. And then I went into the West End production of Grease, the musical, as Kanicki of all people. Oh. We're talking about a long time ago, but that, as everybody knows, that was, that's a wonderful starring role in, in Greece. Oh, yeah. Every years after I left drama school and after that, I'd really got a taste for, for music. I could play guitar. I had a good rock and roll screaming, singing blues, blues voice and went into that side of things. And I formed a band 
with a couple of other guys called, of all things, the Bouncing Checks, <laughs> and came here in 1987 to perform in Melbourne, and that was that. That was after five years in in a band, and that's in fact what brought me to Australia. And that's I came as a musician, and then went back into theatre once I got here. Once I realised we couldn't carry on like that anymore, we were so badly behaved in the bouncing checks. We, somebody once said we're like you're like the Rolling Stones with no hits and no money. <laughs> but we we certainly we certainly did the wherever we played we did the uh, the alcohol salesman very a lot of favours. Sent everyone and, uh, in business. <laughs> we went we went on the rampage basically for five years, and then I came here and decided. Okay, it's got to stop. Let's get back into the theatre. Let's get serious. And uh, you are getting quite serious in terms of musical moving from <laughs> the Bounce Checks to now the Flinders Quartet and working on, <laughs> which is a very different kind of world of music. Tell me about this, where it began for you. Well, absolutely. What happened was that I was working on a, on a show called Secret River for the Sydney Theatre oh. Company. And Ian Grandage, who's now the artistic director of the Perth Festival, said to me while we were doing that, hey, I'm working with this group, the Flinders Quartet. They need somebody to do the spoken word component or to direct a show that they're doing. So this was in 2018. Now, Regina, I had no idea about classical music. I'd, I really did not have the slightest idea about what I was going into. Mm. But I think for the Flinders Quartet, it was a useful thing because all I was interested in was the biography of which, whoever the composer was. And it's been an absolute eye-opener for me because they keep giving me these projects and I go, okay, and then they go, right. Last year was the project on Bela Bartok, the composer, and I always just go, as I do to everything, sometimes to my detriment, say, yes. So I, I said, yes, so this is my fourth uh, production with them, um, but it is, and it's the second one that I will actually appear in. I, it's just a challenging thing at me. I'm now 67 years old, and to suddenly have a new side to my career is, is very exciting because there's a lot more academic stuff, there's a lot more research to do, and making a show. So a lot of the, the spoken word component I've written using Peter Bartok's autobiography relating to his father's. So, yeah, it's a very exciting new venture for me, but certainly it's a new venture in terms of the fact coming from being a screaming rock and roll singer to <laughs> the world of chamber music. That's been an amazing and rewarding journey, but a hard one. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. it's, not, it's, not, it's quite a jump into that different world and it's turned things around and now I'm as comfortable and, and feel as rewarded going to see chamber music, uh, the recital centre, as I am to going to the pub, watching a band who would be basically doing what I did in my early life. Before 2018, I had no contact with the classical music world whatsoever. So that's very exciting. It's a very interesting, I haven't studied, I've listened to classical music all my life. I love classical music, but I don't know why in terms of, you know, when you get someone that explains it to you, can you talk about maybe a little bit about the meaning behind it and maybe what you found out through this research, like the anecdotes and the, the things that um, informed you? So what happens is that I do, I approach it or have had to approach it from a different angle. I think people generally listen to the music and then may take a passing interest in the composer, find out 
what those influences were, what goes on. I go the other way. So I literally learn about the composer, research the composer a lot, and then move into the music. And it becomes a, a, a revelation in reverse, really. So it's all about how his life has affected the music. Mm. And that's a diff different journey, but it's a very exciting journey. The actual science of the music, what's going on? I, I, I mean, Regina, I have no idea half the time. <laughs> I'm only receiving it, which I'm, I'm sure is a really good and valid way to receive it. I receive the music as I hear it because of the drama of it. And Bartok is, has been an absolute revelation because the drama in the music and the demands it makes on the players, particularly in the string quartets, probably in all of it, but the string quartets are what I'm associated with at the moment. It's just incredibly exciting. And so I think we can create a very exciting evening when the show is being done. Yeah, we do create stories with music, we it, it's so full of emotion. I wonder if each instrument has a different kind of emotive quality in that kind of research, but that's sort of down a hole. What are, the, what are the, some of the things that you found out about Bartok's life when he was writing? That's right. So, so the angle is actually the, this, our, the, the, the book I was given by Zoe Knight, and who is the cellist, was, is called My Father, and it's by Peter Bartok, the, the son. So this gives the thing a drama in itself. If you just go, right, when it's about Bela Bartok's, the composer's life, then that's fine. But if the emotional content of, uh, of a son's love for his father has a whole different Dynamic. nature to it. Yeah. I think that what you do find out about Bela Bartok, or what I did find as time goes by and you're uncovering things, and another story underneath the radar comes out about his doubts, his feelings, his nervousness about what was happening in his native Hungary as Nazism started to come into it. What his early life was like and what, how his early passions with women um, had an effect on his first quartet. There's slowly you uncover stuff because at first I felt, oh, Bella Bartok, I mean, where's the story? How am I going to find this out? And then slowly it reveals itself. It wasn't the same as a previous production I did on Shostakovich, where there is an instant thriller there because of the, the troubles he got into and the, the conflict he had with the Stalin's regime in Russia. Bartok, on the surface, is a much more difficult journey. But I did have the son's biography, uh, autobiography, which is also a biography of Bela Bartok. I had that to start from. And then uh, somebody, I got hold of a, a Hungarian documentary about Bartok, which featured Peter Bartok a bit. And then I, I realised that I could make a bit of a thriller out of this. So is this working with the Flinders Quartet, is this sort of your first foray, I suppose, into writing for the stage rather than performing? Uh, it is the first, let me just think about that. I think it probably is some of the first, not music. I've written the music for a lot of shows, but in terms of actually creating something, it probably is. It's certainly my first taste of directing. I'm not that interested in directing actors. I, I find them terrifying. <laughs> but musicians are a different thing because you can sit and think about what you're going to do next while they're playing and rehearsing. I actually love 
working as a director with musicians and just directing how this is going to work dramatically, you know, what, how the piece is going to work, when the playing comes, when they're speaking. And we've gone through it a few days ago and I suddenly went, I felt quite emotional because I realised I was, I was getting somewhere. But it's certainly, writing has not been something I've done much of and it's actually all due to the Flinders Quartet who kind of go, yes, you are doing this. Am I? Yes, that's what you're doing. So I, start, I just start doing it and... And then I go, oh, I'm all right at this, really. Perhaps I'll bash on. <laughs> it sounds wonderful. Are you? Can I ask, are you the narrator or are you the son or are you Bella? Bella? Yeah, so I, I am partly the narrator, but a lot of the time the narration is I kind of take on the role of the, mm. of the son. Mm. Okay. So it's spoken like yeah. that. I start off actually being myself, discussing, reading in a letter how I my initial letter to Peter Bartok. And I didn't actually get to speak to Peter Bartok because by the time my letter got to him, he was very unwell and infirm. And so I actually initially communicated with his music editor in a place called Homosassa in Florida, which is where they live. I mean, who'd believe it? I mean, I, I didn't actually initially know how to get hold of Peter Bartok. And then I just, this is the amazing thing about Google. I Googled the Florida Residence Directory who told me everything. You can, if you want to know anything, anybody listening wants to know anything about anybody in Florida, you go to the Florida <laughs> Residence Directory and you know everything about them. You know where they live. You practically know, you know how they vote. You know what race they are. You, uh, Regina, it will tell you how much... What, what they're worth, and also their unclaimed assets. Oh, my. I mean, you, we think this is the, the age of, uh, you know, the, the privacy in the digital age. Well, no, not in Florida. You can find out anything about anybody. <laughs> and also then you can find out everything about his next-door neighbours. So I actually did the old-fashioned thing of sat down and write a, wrote a letter to him, which was you know, then the, his music editor, Peter Hennings, got hold of it. And we had a little dialogue and I just thought I'll use these in the show and it kind of gives a warmth and an intimacy to it. And also the letters are quite amusing in their way, uh, which otherwise you can get bogged straight down into fact. What you know is that uh, Bella Bartok passed away without much money and, um, and he was very ill, but with, with these other, these other, um, these other angles, like the letter writing and all that sort of stuff, it can bubble away. So it becomes it becomes an entertaining night, I hope. I believe. <laughs> it does sound entertaining. It sounds wonderful, actually. And what? Florida, let's, uh, you know, it sounds like there's a whole, I don't know, catalogue of uh, stories to be told. <laughs> What's I mean, next? Who, yeah, who knew? This, this was the amazing thing. You suddenly go... He lives in Homosassa, a place I've never heard of, in Florida. <laughs> He's the son of Bella Bartok. At first I thought it can't be the same. No, man. it can't be. But it is. And he run, wow. he's dedicated his life to his father's music. He runs a funny little uh, organisation called Bartok Records, or he did. Oh, wow. Because, he, you know, he between my, my first writing to him, mm-hmm. so it's three months later, he, he died. Oh. And so that... That comes into it, but I finished the show 
in a buoyant and uh, a different way, which the audience will have to come and see. But uh, I've got a way around it, and I never, I refuse to let anything be boring or too long. It's got to be fun, a joy. <laughs> it's got to be fun. I'll be up there. Um, and and, and it, I think it was the thing that while we were running through, while I was running through it with the string quartet, I became quite emotional while I was doing it. Now, that's always a good sign when you go, oh, something's happening here. Mm. This is going to be a kind of enchanting journey rather than just a documentary of a life. So I kind of felt, gosh, I'm onto something here. Well, it sounds like you have a documentary of your life. Is that next? Is that down the track? Oh, no. No, I think you've had it today. (laughs) I think so. We have had quite a trip. Richard Piper, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. And that was Richard Piper. He's performing in the Flinders Quartet premiere of Bartok, My Father. It'll be streamed on Thursday the 15th of July.